May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, and Gregory Hall for our Media Monday podcast. Guys, there was a whole lot to talk about today because even though UNC did fall a little bit short to Clemson, they only lost by one point. There were tons of positives to take away from that game. But just talking about the matchup specifically, Greg, as you were leaving the stadium, what do you think was the biggest reason how the Tar Heels came within a failed two-point play of possibly upsetting the number one team in the entire nation? Well, number one, they hit on a couple of big plays on their first possession, which I think gave the entire team a lot of confidence. When you're able to take a, a seven-point lead, you, you feel good about it. Uh, and then really, it was a defensive game. And I thought Jay Bateman did a fantastic job in his, his scheme. Uh, the players really bought in. I mean, this is a defense that's averaging, coming into the game, 14 and a half missed tackles per game, which is way too many. And against Clemson, who has plenty of playmakers that can make you miss tackles, uh, they only had seven. And when you look at, you know, they minimize penalties, uh, they minimize miscommunications. They did have the one on the, the final touchdown by Clemson. That was kind of the backbreaker. Uh, but it was just a, a fantastic defensive game both in scheme and in execution. And that's the primary reason. And uh, give give North Carolina credit, give Sam Howell credit. When they needed a big drive late to kind of keep the, the defense off the field and to you know, try to uh, obviously get back in the game and, and tie the game or, or try to win the game, they were able to put together just an incredible uh, you know, eight-minute-long drive, which is, which is wild. And uh, as you said, they just came up a couple yards short and uh, just uh, a phenomenal performance, I think, for North Carolina to be able to say, you know, even though Clemson clearly is the better team on this particular day, on any particular day, if we play up to our capabilities and we play clean and we execute and we make the other team have some mistakes, we can play with, with pretty much everybody. So, Ross, then, what were your major takeaways? Were there any particular players that stood out to you that really kind of led UNC's efforts against Clemson? Yeah, I mean, in general, I thought, I mean, Coach Brown said there's no moral victories. Ah, this was a huge moral victory. I mean, I think you come away almost thinking this is a win except for the score and, and how it's going to look like on the record. Like, everything you take away is positive. The defense played great. You've got great play out of the front seven, especially the linebackers. Your confidence is riding high there that you can go against like a Heisman candidate and some of these really stud wide receivers and go toe-to-toe. So defensively, they're good. Some of the younger players played great – or played, you know, okay in terms of Storm, Storm Duck and Don Chapman, guys that got a lot of action. And offensively, talking about, you know, players that stood out, I thought the offensive line was a lot better. And Phil Longo noted that today in his press conference saying that it was a, it was a 
best example of them really moving and working together in continuity, which they've been hoping to get. You get Charlie Heck back, which is great moving forward. Uh, he's going to play against Georgia Tech and then get a week to rest, and that hand's going to continue to heal. So props for him for playing, and I think his, uh, you know, the, the courage to go out there and play really changed the, the, the impact of the offensive line. The run game really worked. They protected Sam pretty well. And uh, the running game is continuing to be strong. Uh, Javante Williams, Michael Carter are studs, and they proved it. And they ran really well against a, a top-notch defense. And I thought they went toe-to-toe with the, the best team in the nation, and they proved they belong. And then look, so looking ahead to the schedule, you got coastal matches in every game I think is winnable. Uh, you know, Virginia, Virginia will be hard, but, you know, Duke will be hard. But Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, you know, Pittsburgh, who knows? All the games left on the schedule, it seems like, are either – going to be favorites or toss-ups um and so there's just a huge amount of confidence you come out of this very positive uh compared to last week against Appalachian State when there were a lot more negatives given how they performed against what you would think is kind of lesser competition yeah and I'm not a moral victory guy by any stretch never have been but I, I totally agree with Ross I mean after that App State game those guys were down in the post game I mean, you could tell they were hurt. And after Wake, they were a little bit stunned. After App, they were down. And so I think one of the concerns going into the Clemson game was, all right, if they get boat raced, what kind of trajectory are we talking here? We're talking about a team losing three games in a row uh, and you know, lost a couple games they maybe could have won, and then they get embarrassed in another game. And that can lead to things spiraling out of control. But because they played the way that they did against Clemson, I mean, after the game, yeah, the guys were upset they didn't win. But they were miles higher than they were after the app game. It was pretty much, yeah, you know, if we make this play, this play, and this place, we beat the number one team in the country. So we know we can play with those guys. And so, I, yes, you don't, you don't ever want to lose. But it was just kind of like a renewed faith that, hey, we beat these guys. I mean, they're the class of the ACC. I mean, there's a lot of teams in the ACC that sucks. And that's the truth. And so, as Ross said, you, you know, the chances of winning all these games is going to be tough. Just when you look out over the course of the, you know, the final, what, seven games. But you're going to have a chance to win all of them. And uh, I think the players, by playing the way they did against Clemson, they kind of confirmed that to themselves. And I think there's a lot of value in that. There is. I mean, it really did come down kind of to two big plays. The Clemson final touchdown that Jay Bateman talked about in his press conference portion today, and then the two-point play that Phil Longo also talked about. So, Gregory, let's go ahead and transition over to that two-point play. What did Longo have to say about the call there? So, similar to kind of what Max said after the game, he talked about if the play works, I'm a genius. But he went through kind of the thought process of maybe some of the options that they had. And something that stood out to me was that it was not the his first choice of play, is how he put it. Um, he said they kind of had three choices that they wanted to run. Um, one choice was something that they have used to score two touchdowns um, in the first four weeks. So he figured with Clemson's coaches, their coaching staff, and their defense that they would be schematically ready for that one. So that was kind of the third choice. Their first choice of play was what they ran to what was almost a touchdown was that kind of that pass, that tight end drag route uh, out to Vargas 
um, which was underthrown by uh, Howell, but Vargas grabbed it and was down the the one inch line. Um, that's the play that he kind of said that 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 was his first choice of play. Um, and then the one that they went with the uh, triple option was his second choice and something that he was still confident in enough to kind of convince um, Mac. I don't know how much convincing was needed, but to kind of say, this is the play we're going to run. I'm confident in it, that it's going to work. Um, and then he just said that Clemson defense specifically, uh, I guess, was it Xavier Thomas, the defensive end that uh, made it was just made a good play and prevented Sam um, from getting in. So it kind of went through the the three options there. Um, and also mentioned that it was not the same play that they ran against South Carolina for the two-point conversion. That was a true speed option um, where Sam can either pitch it or keep it. That was going to be the play the whole way. Uh, this one was a, a true triple option where you can either hand it off to the back or uh, keep it, which he did, um, or pitch it to the uh, wide receiver in motion. So that, that's what he had to say about that today. Yeah, I think the big thing is that Clemson's defense made a, a really great play. They kind of saw it that was coming, and Xavier Thomas kind of defended the handoff to Javante, then made a super athletic play, changing direction, and pushing Sam Howe out, making him go a little bit farther, and cutting off the lanes for uh, Sam to kind of jut into the end zone. And there were two defensive backs or a linebacker there, and there three guys kind of gang-tackled him. Um, you know, I think I've talked to a lot of friends and, and other people in the media, you know, you would kind of like to put the ball into Sam's hands to, to pass the ball. Uh, he's not a runner, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. You're always If it doesn't work, you're always going to debate whether it was the right call. They thought it was the play to go with. I don't think many people are debating that going for two was the right move. There are some questions about the play call. Um, but if it worked, we'd be praising Mac and, and Sam Howe and, and Phil Longo. It didn't. Uh, I just want to send to Greg. I mean, Greg, do you have any thoughts kind of on that play call, what you saw, what you would have – Maybe like to see different that, that could have worked more. I think you hit on the, the the key aspect of this is we're talking about two different things here. Number one is was it a good decision to go for two? And the second part is if you decide to go for two, what's the play call? Uh, and from my vantage point, and I I would assume the three of you agree with me, you go for it there, given kind of how the I guess I'm speaking for all three of you, which I shouldn't do. So I apologize if I'm if I'm off base there. But right, there's Greg. the <laughs> there's the the opportunity in one play to take a lead against the number one team in the country at home, and given the the depth issues which are significant, um, and you know, Mac was convinced that the defense was worn out, and he made the point during the press conference that you know, and you're watching on TV, you're watching from the stands, you don't have a feel for how the defense is holding up. I do, and so you, know, I think from that. Vantage point, he was he was pretty crystal clear. Like, if you want to argue with the play call, fine. Uh, but in terms of going for it, I, I know what what my team was like in that moment. So I think it was a I think it was a, a great decision to go for it. I, mean, I, I think you played a win, and that's one thing Mac talked about. He said, you know, he's he's too old. He's, he's been around too long. He's too far along in life to be just overly conservative with things. And that's one of the reasons he went with a. Uh, kind of an up-and-comer defensive coordinator, which thus far has worked out perfectly. Uh, and he went with an error rate offense, which is kind of the end thing right now. He wasn't going to go conservative if he was coming back. And same goes with this team. This is not a team that is going to contend for a national championship. They do not have the depth to be able to do that. And there's a reason they're two and three. However, 
from what we've seen through five games, they've been in every single game until the final play. So when you have a team that that that's scrappy, and you, they have some 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 negatives to them, but there's a lot of positives. If you have a chance to win a game like that, you go for it. And if you lose, you know what? You tried. Um, but I like that attitude, and that that's that's kind of what he pushed. And now in terms of the the play call, you know, it's as Ross said. After you see it, it's easy to say, "Oh, well, I've, I would have done that. I'd have thrown a fade route or or whatever, I'd have thrown a, a slant." And if any of those plays hadn't worked, you would kind of say the same thing. But I think what fans need to understand, and Gregory touched on this, is we've gotten to the point in college football that you're so limited in how many hours you can put into game planning during the week, especially in terms of working with student athletes. I mean, you're talking 20 hours. That's it. Um, So how often do you work on these special situations? You know, Larry Fedora got a lot of grief because they didn't spend a lot of time on goal line because his data from all of his years of being an offensive coordinator suggested the number of goal line plays that they're going to run throughout the course of the season is minimal. And so why dedicate so much time to that area? Now we can, we have disagreed about that. We can debate about that. That's in the past, but that's just, that's just how Fedor approached it. And so when Longo's doing this, he's not sitting there saying, okay, well, I've got 15 plays that I can pick from. Which one would be perfect? No, they've worked on a handful. When I say handful, like three or four plays throughout the course of the week, that they have put into the game plan. Those are his only options. And as he laid out, two of them, uh, he thought Clemson probably scouted pretty well. And the other one uh, on the, the Bargus catch right there on the goal line, that may have been their best two-point play. And so now you're kind of limited to what you can do. Um, and was it the perfect call? Clearly it was not and didn't work. Uh, but it's not like he had this open book trying to pick and choose, and he went with a really bad option. He went with one of the few options he had, and it just didn't work out. And to get a great breakdown, kind of almost frame by frame of that play, Jason Staples did that on the Tarpit Premium Message Board. Strongly encourage everyone to go watch that. It just really talks about schematically what, what UNC was trying to do, how Clemson lined up against it. So, yeah, I mean, for everyone that still has a little bit of lingering questioning there, definitely check that out. But, guys, we'll go ahead and take a commercial break to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Tar Heel gear. When you're in town, either for a basketball game, which basketball season is starting soon, or if you are going to be attending one of the remaining few home games, there's only three left, make sure that you stop by the Giant T-Shirt location there on Franklin Street, where they have been in business for decades. They have the very best customer service, and they have everything UNC fans could need. That's where you can get your Return of the Mac T-Shirt, and you can also get 10% off of your order either there at Giant T-Shirt or GiantT-Shirt.com. If you are an Inside Carolina subscriber, you can get the 10% off code from the premium message boards. So sign up for Inside Carolina. Head over to Giant T-Shirt, GiantT-Shirt.com. You can always order online if you can't make it to Chapel Hill. But that's where you can go for all of your Tar Heel gear needs. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get back to the conversation here. And, you know, Greg, you talked about the statements that Mac Brown had said about being aggressive. And I wanted to just expand on those a little bit more. Ross, when you were there in the press conference hearing Mac Brown talk about that, what was his demeanor like? I mean, was he really being energized when, when he was talking about that kind of stuff? Yeah, it was pretty funny, him talking about being aggressive, and, and Greg touched on it there, and I think he's writing some up about it, but he's just like, he's too old to mess around, and he's here to win games, and they're going to be aggressive, and that's how he's approaching this this new job. He was funny. He said, you know, like, I'm not 
working for another job. Like I'm not waiting to get hired another job. This is it for me. So I'm going to give it all I got and, and take chances and be aggressive and go for wins and, and blitz and all those different things. So that was pretty much it. And, you know, that can be approached a lot of different ways about how he's building the team and, and how he's making decisions in game and how they're scheming uh, for different teams. So that was about it. But it was pretty interesting. It, it was a pretty funny little back and forth there with Mac. And it's great. He's also, I mean, from the media's perspective, he's been pretty open as well. He's not going to do coach speak. This is his last chance. He's too old to kind of try to, no, not lie to the media, but to try to just kind of work around the media. He knows how it works now. So that was about it from my perspective. All right. Good deal. Gregory, did you notice anything else? And if not, let's go ahead and transition over to the injuries because there was also some news on that front today. Yeah, not really much more with, with the aggression other than like Ross said, uh, not doing coach beak and he's just like i'm here to win uh, as far as injuries go no only one another injury at this point which is kind of uncertain was to uh to cam kelly was announced today that he's still undergoing further evaluation um he got the start against clemson um with the injured miles wolfolk and he rotated in and out with other true freshman don chapman uh, we've been hearing about those two guys from Jay Bateman and they were going to be really special players and uh, all of that stuff. So, I mean, that that's if Cam Kelly is injured and adds to that is added to that injury list. Uh, that's just another further blow at this point that the, the Tar Heels are taking as far as injuries go. Yeah. And, uh, jumping in here with Cam Kelly out, you know, Miles Wolfork is, is kind of out indefinitely. So that's going to be a little bit longer than, Oh, we, we we're not really sure what's going on there. So, Wolfolk out, Cam Kelly potentially out. So you move DJ Ford back to safety. Maybe bring in uh, DeAndre Hollins. Hollins is his last name to play some nickel. Um, Storm Duck has come in and has kind of supplanted Greg Ross at corner. Um, I don't believe Greg Ross is injured, but then you still have um, Jason Strobridge with some lingering issues. He played a lot against Clemson, but he is still kind of he's not 100. I guess is the best way to say that, but he's not like going to be inactive he's going to play as well and of course heck has a broken hand he's working through that i think that's about it and, and antoine green still is kind of some sketchy there in terms of whether he's playing or not but i think he's healthy well the injury situation it, it was kind of bleak there going into clemson and i think that's honestly why a lot of unc fans felt that the tigers could just roll the heels in that game but you know a lot of players really stepped up you guys have mentioned a couple of the true freshmen Greg, how impressed have you been overall with just the fact that this inexperienced defense has, number one, really grasped the scheme that Jay Bateman is employing, and number two, that they are really starting to develop into a very cohesive and dangerous defensive unit? Well, I think those two things all go back, both go back to Jay Bateman. He has installed a scheme that is a bit deceptive in terms of his disguises. But it's coached up well enough that the players understand it, so you're not having all these busts. And the other component, too, is one of the reasons some of these guys look as good as they do is that he knows how to protect them, right? I mean, we talk about these young guys playing. Well, who, who are we talking about? Well, Cam Kelly, true freshman. Don Chapman, true freshman. Storm Duck, true freshman. They're all defensive backs. And so what North Carolina had to do against Clemson is you've got to protect those guys um, but at the same time, you don't want Clemson to think that all you're doing is sitting back in coverage to where they can just run the ball day. So he had to strike a balance of we got to protect these guys on the back end, but we've also got to use those linebackers. And that's one of the reasons that linebackers were such a big talking point 
during the game, after the game, even today, is because Bateman knew with the secondary having so many young guys and really having to rely on Miles Dorn and, and Trey Morrison for their experience, they had to make sure those linebackers were doing a lot of different things. And so that's why Chas Surratt was so active and Jeremiah Gimmel was running sideline, sideline. Dom Ross, I mean, he basically was playing a nickel at some some place while he was also rushing off the edge. He did a lot of different things. And so just in terms of how he schemed, um, really kind of protects those guys. And he, he mentioned it like against South Carolina when Storm Duck had to go in there after Morrison got hurt. He he believes in Storm Duck, but the kid hadn't played. And he knows that you know, if that kid goes in the game and gets scorched, I mean, that can mess him up for the entire year. We've seen that in recent years in the past uh, where guys just, I, mean, I think that happened with Chad Surratt a little bit two years ago where he started off strong and then started having some issues midway through the year. And I think his confidence just kind of was shot. Um, and so Jay is, is very smart with protecting players while also not exposing other aspects of the defense. It takes a very talented, uh, very bright defensive mind to be able to do that. And through five games, and particularly against the, the top team in the country, uh, he, he did do that. And then Gregory, were there any particular players that really jumped out to you on like an individual basis that have shown themselves to kind of be emerging as leaders of the defense there? Uh, I think the main one as far as emerging as a leader is uh, Jeremiah Gimmel. Um, he didn't play much last year. So like we were talking about at the beginning of this season, when you have get when, when Ross was out that Dom Dominique Ross was out that first game, you, they Tar Heels had Gimmel and Chaz Surratt who had never played linebacker before. Um, everybody knows what Chaz Surratt did against Clemson game of his life, only five games into linebacker. Um, and Gimmel's kind of emerged as more of a, a vocal leader. I would say you see we see, when we talk to him after games, he's very informative. He's he doesn't just give maybe a quick sentence or two. He goes in depth. He explains himself. And if that goes back to what he can do on the field. And he's kind of stepped up as that leader at that linebacker role and kind of controlling the defense a little bit. Um, I think it's super helpful as the as Mac mentioned earlier in the season that leadership when being quiet was an issue for this team. Um, and so I think kind of maybe as Gimmel has proved himself on the field, he's able to step up and kind of direct more bodies and help out when you've got uh, leaders like Miles Wolfolk who go down. Um, so then that kind of switches over to Miles Dorn having to step up, but he's more occupied, like Jay Bateman said today, with having to play both safety positions and having to help two true freshmen. So I think that's where Gimmel can really step up and kind of solidify himself as the main central leader, even though he's such a young player. I think that the future is definitely very bright for UNCL on the defensive side, just given how much experience these young guys are getting. However, retaining Jay Bateman is going to be an absolute priority probably the most important thing that UNC can do during the offseason. I'm sure some bigger programs are going to come to try to pry him away from Chapel Hill. Let's go ahead and talk about the offensive line because they also played very, very well. Coach Brown talked about them during the press conference. And Ross, it seemed like he had a lot of praise to say. So what did the coach say about how his offensive line unit performed against the Tigers? 
Yeah, I, mean, I mentioned a little bit at the top of the podcast, but getting Charlie Heck back was huge just because he's a senior veteran voice. Uh, obviously, at, at left tackle, he played a critical, critical position. He had a really good pass protection grade. They kept Sam pretty clean. I mean, he got sacked a couple times as well, but it, it seemed like he stayed in the pocket more. They really worked on the run game and established that. And so you had your, you know, Brian Anderson and Ed Montillas and Marcus McKeithen really working um, up front to, to get some holes and, and whatnot. There weren't as many issues with uh, false starts and snapping. So that bodes well for what Anderson has done. And so you think if this group gets moving, this five with some consistency and Billy Ross coming in here and there, uh, it's going to pay off down the road. You would, you got to think they've kind of, this was their toughest matchup going against a, a you know, four or five star stacked defensive line with Xavier Thomas and they voted pretty well. And it seems like Mac Brown and Phil Longer are pretty impressed with that. And um, that's about it from, from offensive line. But I mean, to add on the linebacker talk, I mean, Tad Stratt and Gimble played incredible. And I think they're super impressed with what that group's doing, especially given that was a weakness we all pointed to entering the season. And now it seems like those two guys are almost a strength of this team. And that showed against, um, you know, a veteran offensive line that Clemson had and what they did, how they attacked uh, Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson defense. Absolutely, man. Let's go ahead and take a very quick commercial break. And then when we get back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast with discussing the comments that Coach Brown said about taking on the future coastal opponent. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, and Gregory Hall. So, guys, one of the quotes that stood out to me from Mac Brown's press conference, and this is probably the one I think that was the most impactful overall, is that he said that in regards to the team's emotional levels, the quote was, we've been up and down with our emotion, and we're not good enough to do that. I mean, Greg, that is a very frank, but honestly, a very welcoming assessment of the team. So, you know, UNC got up emotionally to play the Tigers. They were subject to a lowered emotion against Wake and then App State kind of along the same lines. They're traveling to Atlanta to play Georgia Tech on Saturday. How do you think the team will be emotionally for that game? Well, one thing I said in the the our preview podcast last week before this game, I, I really looked at the Clemson game and the Georgia Tech game uh, as, as kind of a, a duo, as a collective. Because as Mac Brown told us last week, it's easy for guys to get up for Clemson. I mean, that's the number one team in the country. I mean, if you're a North Carolina football fan, I assume you're a North Carolina uh, basketball fan. And how many times has North Carolina basketball played somebody who didn't have anywhere near their talent level but because it was North Carolina on the jersey, they played 
you know, an incredible uh, game just due to energy and intensity. Uh, and so Mac knew the guys were going to be up for Clemson. How they fared was a different story, but he knew the energy level would be there. Now they turn around after a very competitive game, very emotional game, and they go to Atlanta, and Bobby Dodd is not known for a uh, boisterous atmosphere, especially during the day, especially when they're not any good. And this is a team that's one and three in Jeff Collins' first year. I think Collins will be a good coach. He's got his he's got his work cut out for him because they're in transition period. Um, you know, he he's really had to get creative with kind of managing that transition because he is <laughs> he's not interested in running a triple option, but he's having to use still some of those components just with the personnel that he has right now. And so North Carolina went from being a massive underdog to the number one team in the country to now they're a double-digit favorite against one of the worst teams in the ACC. How do you manage that in terms of emotion? And so, you know, what Mac was getting at is we've been up and down not only in every game pretty much, except for Clemson, uh, but from week to week. And so until we get ourselves figured out, it doesn't matter who we're playing. Um, if we're not playing to the best of our ability with the most passion, the most energy every single week, we're, we're you're missing the big picture because we have to bring it every single time we step on the field, whether it's Clemson or whether it's Mercer. Uh, and so that, I think that is the, the emphasis that we're going with right now. He said he's probably talked too much about the opponent when it needs to be more about the players until they understand, Hey, we're, we're going to check this box. We're going to play with great energy and great effort every single week. We don't even have to have that discussion anymore because they're not there and they don't have the talent to, to manage that. And so uh, I think that's the, that's the key point is they had a great week of practice last week. Can they duplicate that this week? And I think you know, North Carolina goes into, goes into Atlanta and wins by handily by a couple touchdowns, and they get a lot of, a lot of guys lower down on the depth chart some, some playing time late that will be a, a perfect situation for North Carolina. If this is another game that comes down to the wire against a team not nearly as good as UNC, uh, we're still going to be talking about these these highs and lows come next week. Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in here. I think they just need to go down there and blow them out. I think that's what this team needs at this point. They've, they've been so close to so many games. It's time for this thing to kind of start clicking, and Georgia Tech is the perfect setup for that. Blow the team out by a couple – a couple touchdowns and then head into the bye week, get everybody healthy. Like Greg said, kind of uh, play a lot of players down in Atlanta to get some more experience because you're going to need that going through the coastal and just get ready for that stretch run when you have some tough games against Virginia Tech, Duke, Virginia, and the remainder of the ACC coastal. So that's what I would like to see. Um, go down to Atlanta, blow them out, you know, rest players that you need to get some experience in the off- of the offensive line, play some more defenders where you're lacking some depth and get things cooking. Yeah, that's about it. I definitely agree with Ross and Greg here that the, the perfect <laughs> scenario is blowing them out, but something to keep in mind and Mac mentioned it today. Um, I think this kind of just adds fuel to the fire about why UNC will probably be aiming to blow them out is since Mac left UNC for Texas, the heels have played in Atlanta 10 times. They're one in nine in those games. Uh, Mac was just kind of flustered, not flustered per se, but just kind of like, I don't know why UNC has struggled in Atlanta. Um, and just kind of against Georgia Tech in, in general. Um, since 1998, they've only beaten the Yellow Jackets five times. 
Um, so I think that kind of, as Mac is trying to change the culture of this program, I mean, one point lost the number one team in the country. Now you can start beating teams that you might not have had as much success against in the past. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've got. It's really good podcasting when we, our take on the Georgia Tech game is that the UNC needs to go blow them out. Like, no, we want them to have a close game. Of course they want to have a close game. We were, uh, we were dead on last week with the Clemson blowing out North Carolina. So I think we should continue the, the blowout talk. Yeah. Well, I think all of us also picked App State to lose. And yep. it, it's not been a very good season for the IC, just in general, our, our picks. So if anyone's like keeping tabs and placing vets at Vegas, just take what we say and do the opposite. You'll win some money. You, I got you know the funny thing right. is, though, John? The, the funny thing is, is that I think at this point, most of us had North Carolina at two and three. Now, how we got here is completely wrong, but I think most of us pretty much had North Carolina in this spot. Everybody had Carolina losing uh, to South Carolina and Miami and winning Wake and App State. So just just uh, speaks to the, the craziness that is college football. That's true. Gregory, which game did you say that you actually picked correctly? I didn't pick it correctly, but I picked the App State game. It was going to be 34-31. I just had the teams flipped, but oh, still, okay. I'm still impressive. Half credit. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up with this, guys. My final question. And, Greg, this one's going to be for you. Coach Brown also mentioned that the Coastal Division is still in play. Uh, Ross mentioned that the Heels now have a run of Coastal Division opponents. And you guys also talked about the fact that the practices were so good. When Coach Brown is talking about his team this season contending for the division title, do you get the sense that he is actually that he truthfully thinks they are good enough to compete, or do you think that he is using that as motivation for the team? Well, he's certainly using it for motivation, but I don't know about you guys, but I have not been impressed with the quality of football in the ACC this year. I do think Clemson clearly is one of the you know top five teams in the country. Uh, we'll, you know, if they keep playing the way they've played to start the season, somebody may be able to sneak up on them. But when you look at the ACC, you're like, okay, well, who's that going to be? Um, I think Virginia is legit. As, as Gregory knows, I'm a big Bronco Mendenhall fan. And so I think if that's going to be a tough game, that that possibly could determine who wins the Coastal. Duke is playing better. I mean, they're always going to be a tough out under David Cutcliffe. And Pitt, surprisingly, as up and down as they are, they've actually played pretty well um, in, in spurts. And so with that game being up there, with Larry Fedora no longer on the sideline, does that change UNC's fate, right? That was the one team that uh, that North Carolina always beat. So it helps having that Miami win under your belt. But, yeah, I mean, why, why can't they compete in the Coastal? Um, I think they have to take care of business these next two games. And, fortunately, after Georgia Tech, they get a bye week. There's no reason to think they can't go into Atlanta, go into Blacksburg, and win. Win those games, you're, you're talking about 3-1 and one going into the – the meat of the, the coastal play. Uh, and by that point in time, the team will be a little bit more rested. You have some guys back probably. Uh, and these freshmen really will no longer be freshmen. And then at that point in time, you're, you're ready to roll. So uh, yeah, I, I think he's using it as motivation for sure, but the opportunity definitely is there. Look at Greg dropping. The best thing about freshmen is that they become sophomores line. Just, just <laughs> a, a different way of phrasing it. That is a veteran uh, beat writer move there, John. <laughs> I love it. All right, you guys, we'll go ahead and call this one to an end. Thank you all for talking with me and hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. We'll talk again next Monday. See you, J-Bone. Thanks, John. Bye. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.